the Antifada is more than a podcast. It's a specter haunting the globe. It is the synthesis of the two most frightening things for the cheerleaders of this reactionary howl. One ravaged by the unbounded savagery of capital and its states. Antifa super soldiers and intifada. Bash the fash at a global uprising. Be prepared to enter the Antifada mindset. I'm Jamie Peck. And I'm Sean KB, along with Uber producer Matt Leck. Hello. And we have with us to talk about the international women's strike coming up, Tatiana Casarelli. Hi, I'm Tatiana. Um, I'm with the International Women's Strike. I'm on the organizing committee. I'm also on the editorial board of Left Voice, and I'm a member of the DSA. Awesome. We can uh, peg a, um, in the uh, podcast notes, we can peg a link to leftvoice.org and also to the website for the International Women's Strike. Yeah, totally. We will do that for sure. Um, I really appreciated earlier how you texted me, Tatiana, to make sure we weren't a Zionist or pro cop podcast. I was worried. You never can be too sure. It's true. Got to stay looking out. It's good because it helped us to clarify. I think uh, who we who we are and, and, and what who our we mindset. aren't. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The negative and the positive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, welcome to the Antifada. We are coming at you, not live, from Leftist Best Headquarters, about a half an hour walk away from the gentrification-ravaged Gowanus Canal in the coastal elite bubble of America, downtown Brooklyn, USA. In a story that I think has been undercovered by the lamestream media, uh, thousands of public school teachers in West Virginia went on strike this week to protest low pay and insufficient benefits. Teachers in the state, which is 48th in the nation in terms of teacher pay, which is pretty bad, were facing cuts in promised raises from 5% down to 2%, which is actually below the increase they would have needed to keep up with the rising cost of living. And the new package doesn't address their health care concerns at all, which, as anyone who followed the story of Heather Holland, the teacher in Texas who died oh, yeah. after she could not afford to pick up her prescription with a $116 copay. $116 um, for fucking you know flu that medication. This is not abstract to people. This is some real stuff. So it is an illegal strike encompassing some 20,000 teachers and 277,000 students are being affected by it. Um, Possibly the biggest illegal strike since the transit worker strike in 2005. We want to check and make sure that fact is true. Do you remember the transit worker strike in 2005? Were you around for that, Tatiana? Uh, yeah, I do remember. I mean, I was an undergrad at the time, so, you know, I wasn't in New York or anything. But, yeah, it was a big deal. I remember seeing pictures of people walking to work, and I was like, damn. The working class is mad strong. That's yeah. it. You know, yeah. I was in New York for the transit worker strike in 2005, and I'm ashamed to say that I have no memory of it whatsoever. Um, now I'm reading from Vox.com's story about it. Um, Stephen Payne, West Virginia superintendent of schools, in a statement ahead of the strike said he fully recognizes and supports the work of teachers and that they, quote, deserve more, but... Quote, the economic realities of our state may not allow everything teachers deserve to take place immediately. He, Maybe you need a new um, social system. Maybe you need a new mode of production. If you realize that this, these things are needed and that actually people deserve these things, but you're incapable of providing them. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. That's crazy talk. 
He also pointed out that work stoppages by public employees are, quote, not lawful in West Virginia. State Attorney General Patrick Morrissey said the strike was, quote, illegal. Both officials also said the strike would be detrimental to students and families. So because I'm sure they're so concerned about the well-being of students and families, um, here's what some people are doing to help the students who depend on school meals, et cetera, et cetera. And childcare. So state food banks have stepped in to help feed students who depend on school meals during the strike. And supplemental child care centers have also been set up, according to local news reports. And who is setting them up? Who is taking care of the students? Well, um, a lot of the food was donated by food banks, um, but a lot of it was also paid for by teachers out of their own pockets. So that kind of puts the lie to the fact that teachers don't care about their students, even amid this incredible walkout that they're doing for their own survival. They're still, uh, you know, they take their role seriously as... um, workers and as caretakers and as people who have been forced into this role in social reproduction that produces people. Um, And I think that's, well, maybe you have some more things to say about the strike first before we segue into this interview. I think in a way it is is very much like the uh, transit workers strike in 2005 because it's an illegal strike. And as we said, potentially the largest one uh, since that point in time may even be larger. But I think it's important for the reasons that you're talking about, um, similar to the uh, Chicago Teachers Union strike, uh, which hap- happened, what, five years ago, was it? 2012? Somewhere around then? Um, the reason why the Chicago teachers were successful, <clears throat> while they didn't um, actually, they don't have a local tailor law there to stop them from striking, so they were able to strike legally. But the reason why they were ultimately successful in fighting against Rahm Emanuel the mayor of Chicago and the uh, scion of the Obama oh, dynasty. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah, Rahm Emanuel, that real fighter for uh, working people. The reason they were able to succeed in that struggle is because, A, they were willing to put their lives and their livelihoods down on the line and do the only thing, uh, the use the only leverage that the working class has, which is our ability to shut shit down on the one hand, and what they also did is similar to what these West Virginia teachers was, was they interacted with the community, right? The Chicago teachers, they, uh, leading up to the strike itself, they talked with parents, because obviously they're always interacting with the parents, right? They talked to the communities and they explained why the struggles for the rights of teachers, for them to have a decent living, decent health care, decent conditions to work in, are also incredibly important to the children in that community, right? If you have a teacher who's overworked, underpaid, cannot afford flu medication, so they're dying of the flu, whatever the case may be, you are not going to have an education system that works for the community. So workers' rights, teachers' rights are also beneficial for the community as well. And the Chicago teachers did a great job of reaching out. And that's why the public support swung to them and away from Rahm Emanuel, who tried to essentially do this horrible blame game, oh, these teachers don't care about the students, yada, yada, yada. When what you're seeing here is that in West Virginia, it's the teachers who are donating their own money, which they're fighting to get more money, so they don't even have that much money to begin with, in order to make up for what's being, you know, for the lack that exists because they're forced to go on strike 
because they're some of the most poorly paid teachers in the entire country. So yeah. I think that, you know, it's important that we put the strike back on the table. Teachers are not just wage laborers, right? They are wage laborers, but they also play a very, very important role, as you said, in social reproduction, which is to say, creating a new class of workers, creating a, a new, new generation. generation, a new set of people who will then go on to reproduce the structures, uh, the uh, material and the creative potentials that we have as a society, right? Uh, and those teachers don't forget that, right? When it comes time to do donate food, they're down to donate food for these kids because they're not striking against the children, they're striking for themselves, but also for their community. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, and I would add to that that uh, in Brazil, when I was I lived in Brazil during a teacher strike, and the teachers would say, uh, "When I go on strike, I'm also teaching," because they were trying to tell their students, you know, like you all ha like have to stand up and fight for your rights too. Um, when you know a lot of these teachers are high school teachers, and so their students are often have low wage jobs too, and those students should also do the same thing, should organize That's and right. go on strike for their rights because we know that the attacks uh, for the working class, against the working class is across the board, right? It's not just teachers. It's also, you know, I bet a whole bunch of students are working at McDonald's or working at the movie theater, which is, you know, like, I'm sure a lot of us did that. I did that when I was a kid, you know? So I think uh, they're also teaching their students uh, when they go on strike. Um, so I think that that's really important too. And yeah, I don't know. It's such bullshit when they say like, there's no money. Like that's literally, in, like it's so, it doesn't make any sense. We were like, live in the richest country in the world. Mm -hmm. And Trump just gave these crazy tax cuts to the wealthiest people and this crazy huge military budget. And then... I don't know. Someone in the U.S. has the, in the government has the nerve to say there's no money. Like, it's such bullshit. Yeah, teachers spend thousands of dollars of their own money every year on supplies, classroom supplies, like literally chalk, markers, pencils, paper, that kind of thing. But now Trump wants to buy all of them guns to <laughs> bring to class. It's ridiculous. How many notebooks could you buy with an AR-15? Oh my God, so many. Well, I mean, I guess that's the kind of role models they want to have for kids, you know? Uh, never underestimate the threat of a good example, I wanna, what I always say. I want to make one um, point that kind of branches off what you were saying about, um, which I think is a great point about the teacher striking being a teachable moment. If you look at the two examples that we've talked about, which is uh, teachers going out on strike in West Virginia and Chicago and transit workers going on strike in New York City, in both of those uh, instances, you have um, some of the last bastions of unionism in the United States of America, right? Uh, teachers are highly unionized still, although that they're trying to take that away. And the transit workers uh, and transportation logistics in general is this choke point in the economy where if those people withdraw their labor, whether that's New York City Transit, whether that's the Amazon uh, warehouses, right, that all this, um, all these products roll through, whether it's FedEx, you know, that has these giant hubs, you know, where they're moving billions of dollars worth of stuff around, or it's the longshore people, whatever the case may be, it's these last bastions of unionism uh, that um, still exist, that when they get up and they strike, that's a teachable moment for the rest of the class because they are the ones left standing and they need to bring people along and show them that not only is the strike uh, the last thing that we have in our arsenal, but it's also the kind of direct action that the entire class needs in order to gain back 
the power that we used to have, right? That was taken away from us in the past. Yeah. And you're talking about the working class, not just the uh, teacher's class, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I think the, that's a lot of why the right has tried to demonize teachers, uh, because so much of organized labor has already been demonized by them. Um, but I think what we were just discussing is a lot of why it hasn't worked. Like, really? You're going to demonize somebody who's making like $40,000 a year and spending their own money on school supplies and just wants to feed their families. Like, I don't think it's going to work. And teach children. Yeah, which is certainly. A very wonderful I mean, People thing don't to do sign up life. to be teachers so they can get piles of money to spend on like hookers and blow, you know? They, uh, uh, maybe there's a couple out there. <laughs> it's like kind of a, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's good. Obviously, it's kind of a monastic thing to do with your life. You can't uh, you can't be naked on the internet. You know, you make a lot of sacrifices when you become a teacher. <laughs> segue to so yeah, I think this is a good segue into our interview with our guest Tatiana, um, Tatiana Maria Cazzarelli. Um, what is the International Women's Strike, and how did you get involved? Yeah, so I think it's important to sort of go back for a minute to like a little bit of the history of the international of International Women's Day, um, because it's actually been around for a really long time. So International Women's Day uh, was created in 1909 by the Socialist Party in the U.S. So it was a socialist like event from the start, and it was uh, to commemorate uh, a strike of textile workers, of 15,000 uh, women textile workers in New York, mostly immigrant folks who spoke a whole bunch of different languages and yet came together and went on strike in 1908. And so the Socialist Party calls for International Women's Day. I believe two years later, uh, the second international that organized communist parties and socialist parties all over the world um, sort of makes it an uh, international uh, commemoration. Later in 1917, the Russian Revolution actually starts because of, well, on International Women's Day. It's a little confusing because International Women's Day is March 8th, but the, it's the February Revolution because Russia, they had like a different kind of calendar. Well, but anyway. Tsarism kept them backwards, including with their calendar, right? So. It's true. True. Until <laughs> International Women's Day. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so they, the, the February Revolution actually begins on International Women's Day with all these women uh, going on strike. And, you know, you read stories about them, like, marching through where, like, there were tons of factories and, like, calling on, like, like uh, male workers to also, like, come join them in the streets. And they end up toppling the czar um, as a result of the mobilizations that actually begin because of that. So... You know, now, you know, over like 100 years later, um, the international women's strike, I guess, is back. Um, and it's in a context of where we've seen a lot of women's mobilizations around the world, right? There were mass mobilizations of women uh, for, uh, for equal wages with men, um, for abortion rights, Poland and Iceland. Um, there were mobilizations uh, against femicide in Latin America with the Ni Una Menos marches which were mostly the biggest in Argentina. And then in the U.S., uh, we saw, you know, the huge women's march on January 20th as soon as Trump became president. So I think we can say that there's a beginning of a women's phenomena, a phenomena around women's rights going on around the world. And the international women's strike says, you know, 
that we should build on on this momentum and fight for women's rights, but we can't, you know, limit ourselves to just fighting Trump or, uh, you know, we have to fight for all women's rights. And that means fighting for the rights of working class women. Uh, That means fighting for the rights of women of color and trans women, for the most oppressed women among us. Um, And so really, you know, the international women's strike, the call for the international women's strike came after uh, January 20th in the U.S., And so the call was basically saying that uh, we need a women's movement that's independent from the Democratic Party, that it's not Hillary Clinton feminism, that having a woman president is not going to help the overwhelming majority of women in the world. And so we want to build a different kind of women's movement. So that's where the international women's strike sort of comes about. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, why is capitalism an important issue when we're talking about women's rights? Um, Isn't feminism more about like the right to get an abortion and work really hard at your job so you can be a girl boss like Sheryl Sandberg and Beyonce? So I definitely think that we need to fight for things like the right to have an abortion um, because, you know, for example, in the U.S., that is a, a right that we, you know, supposedly have. But the way the laws are um, in lots of states, the it's, it's much more difficult to get an abortion. And if you're a working class woman and, for example, you have... Uh, you know, like a wait period where you can't, you know, you have to go in and you have to go in again, like maybe you can't do that because you got to take time off work. Or, you know, if the abortion clinic is really far away because they closed all the other ones down, uh, if a Planned Parenthood is really far away because they closed all the other ones down, then uh, it's really hard to for working class women to even access the right to, to an abortion in the U.S. So I definitely think we need to fight for that. The stuff about the girl boss I don't think we need to fight for that. Um, so, because I think, you know, like, it's kind of contradictory because I do think that the fact that, uh, you know, now we have women presidents and women CEOs and all that stuff, um, I do think that that's a result of the struggles that, uh, of the, the fight that women have put up. Um, I think that that's, that's uh, something that, you know, we didn't have and, not, and now we have. So, uh, in some ways, it's a it's a, you know it's a victory that that's even possible. But on the other hand, it's like a victory very very confined in the limits of capitalism, which means that it actually doesn't make the the lives of working women and oppressed women any better. Um, it doesn't actually matter um, if it's a woman or a man who's like you know bombing the Middle East or deporting your family um, or you know not raising the minimum wage so you you know. You can't make a living. It, it doesn't matter if there's a woman or a man doing that. It's, it doesn't mean anything. Um, Sounds like you got some internalized misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think mm. that the issue is that I want to make uh, women's lives better, um, all women, right? And I think that the issue is that, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton's not going to do that. Hillary Clinton's going to, you know... Uh, bomb women in the Middle East and deport families and I'm on their side not on you know Hillary Clinton and all those other rich people's side but she's going to do it so wokely it's going to be so she's going to launch the wokest drone strikes the world has ever seen Um, so I think my brocialist husband would like to know why it's only a women's strike when all of us are affected by capitalism 
Yo, check it out, bro. I totally got involved in socialism because Bernie Sanders did. He's like a white guy who totally understands what I'm feeling when it comes to like, you know, health cares and, and, you know, uh, all that good stuff, uh, free stuff, you know, but, uh, you know, why is it only a, a women's strike? You know, why only the women? Uh, wh what about, you know, cis, cishet men like me, you know, I'm, I'm cishet. Can, well, what can we do to participate? You can totally participate, actually. What? I know. <laughs> um, no, I think that the issue is, uh, you know, we're calling a march. Um, and so we definitely want as many people as possible to come out for the march. Uh, in New York, it'll be in Washington Square Park. Um, also, when we talk about having work stoppages, if people are able to, to organize work stoppages, we think that it should be women and men together organizing that work stoppage, but acknowledging and discussing uh, a work stoppage for women's rights, which we would say, you know, women's rights are also workers' rights. Women's rights are, um, are also uh, the rights of Latino people, of black people, of other people of color. So, yeah, I don't know. I think men should definitely participate. Um, are you trying to say that it's impossible to separate class and, I'm sorry, gender and race from uh, capitalism, from class? Crazy idea. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Whoa. So uh, that's, that's his mind being blown. If, in case that was unclear. <laughs> so let's talk about the concept of a strike for a second. Um, can I still participate in the, women, in the women's strike if I don't have a job, strictly speaking? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, there's a march. We want everybody to come to the march. But also uh, the women's strike, we're discussing a women's strike around uh, like wage labor um, for folks who can uh, go on strike, walk off the job, and... Uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, we were just talking about the West Virginia teacher strike. I definitely think that we need to, uh, in the New York, we need to, to fight the Taylor Law. Uh, we need to organize uh, work stoppages at our places of wage labor. At the same time, I think the idea is also to highlight the fact that there's all kinds, that there's labor that doesn't get uh, paid by capitalism because it's free because we're supposed to do it because we're women and I don't know. We're like biologically it's natural. It's totally natural. Um, so anyway, there's all sorts of unpaid labor that predominantly women do, um, you know, like washing the clothes, like, I don't know, cooking food, washing yeah. the dishes, all having the, kids, having, having kids. sex. No offense, babe. <laughs> That's why I go out to the workplace every day to bring home the paycheck so you can make the food, you can feed the kids, you can do the dishes, all of that shit. All of that shit in service of capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's important to highlight that, uh, you know, capitalism is definitely uh, profiting from women in wage labor. We're in the labor force, but also uh, capitalism profits from women's unpaid work like a lot uh, because they don't got to provide health care and they don't have to provide public laundromats or, you know, public cafeterias for us to eat. Like women are supposed to do it out of the love of their heart. Mm -hmm. Child care too, caring yeah. for the elderly. Um, yeah, that reminds me of a talk we had a while back with Tithi Bhattacharya, who I know that you're working with on this project. Um, like all of the unwaged stuff that goes into reproducing workers as a class, which is um, social reproduction theory. Uh, it's just a fancy way for saying the production of people, right? The production of workers. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, the only reason that uh, we can get to work every day is because there's social reproduction being done outside of this, you know, sort of wage labor force. Um, and yeah, capitalism totally uh, profits from the fact that we do it for w women do it for free. Uh, so the idea that women's strike is also to highlight both wage and unwaged labor that women do. Cool. I think also another thing to add, too, is if you look at the statistics, there's um, a double shift that a lot of women work now. You know, women have managed to enter the workplace for less money than men, generally, right? But if you look at the amount of domestic labor that is actually done, it's still done primarily by women. So a woman has to work, what, nine to five or nine to six or nine to eight, whatever it is, and then come home and still do those, you know, uh, unwaged social reproductive tasks that they did previously, but on top of that also need to provide wages for the family through wage labor. It's true. So here's a question for you. Um, is the strike meant to be economically disruptive or does it serve some other purpose? So... I think strikes ideally should be economically disruptive. I think strikes, uh, like we were talking about with the teacher strike, uh, I mean, ideally, uh, the point of a strike uh, like, is to show the power of the working class uh, to, uh, and, and not sort of in a, I don't know, abstract sense, but in the, you know, like the capitalists can't profit if we don't work. Um, and in fact, we can shut down the whole city, like we were talking about the subway workers. Um, and so, you know, uh, yeah, I think that ideally strikes should be economically disruptive. I think that the thing is that in the U.S., uh, the U.S. working class has been uh, really attacked. And in New York, it's illegal to even go on strike uh, for public sector workers. And so I think, um, I, think it'll, it, 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 I think we have to attack that. I think we can't uh, just accept that it's illegal to go on strike. And I think that the idea of the women's strike is to begin to, um, to take up the idea of a strike again, to reclaim it and say, like, nah, this is the way forward for the working class and the oppressed. Um, I think that, and so I think that the, the women's strike begins to put the word strike, the idea of a strike, back into uh, the sort of national conversation. I think in other countries, yeah, there will be... Uh, there will likely be more work stoppages. Last year in Uruguay, for example, uh, several labor unions called strikes on March 8th, and uh, whole sectors of the economy shut down that day. In Argentina, a couple sectors also went on strike um, on March 8th. So um, I think around the world we're going to see some work stoppages that uh, will be economically disruptive. I think in the U.S. we need to uh, work towards uh, that as well. Yeah. I mean, I've seen um, some arguments bandied about by some more, uh, shall we say, traditional Marxists out there who uh, would bristle at the term strike being used because for them that has very specific connotations. Um, you know, the workers of yore, usually men, uh, threatening to walk off a specific job site if certain demands aren't met as opposed to something more um, theoretical or discursive. Um, but maybe by calling it a strike, instead of dragging down the idea of the strike, you are bringing it back into the discourse, like you said. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. And I think that, 
yeah, talking about strikes in the U.S. where, you know, strikes are illegal in New York, where uh, it's very difficult to go on strike. I think that it's absolutely progressive to say, like, yeah, we need to have strikes. I think that uh, we should be pushing in our unions for those of us who are unionized uh, to fight against the Taylor Law and to go on strike on March 8th or for other demands, whenever. I think we need to take up strike uh, again. And I do think that it's um, it's you know, very progressive to say, you know, uh, strikes are the way forward because I, I think that that's right. And if you're in a private sector union and your union has signed up for no strike clauses, maybe you need to become elected as a delegate and uh, start to fight back against that because, as uh, folks were saying, the ability for us to withhold our labor and stop the profit system is the best leverage that we have. Men, women, everybody is the best leverage that we have. So um, do you want to explain a little bit about what the Taylor Law is for people who might not know? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the Taylor Law is essentially a uh, no-strike clause for public sector workers. It basically says that if uh, you go on strike, then you're fined uh, two days' pay for every one day you're on strike. Uh, and it's uh, you're also the union leaders uh, can be locked up, put in jail, and uh, you lose automatic dues checkoff. Um, so those are the essential things that the Taylor Law does. What's funny is that the Taylor Law, when it was passed, it uh, it actually was a loosening of the law because before that they had a law that basically said um, it's that if you go on strike, everybody gets fired. And then people kept going on strike and they couldn't fire everybody. So they were like, damn it, <laughs> we need to have a new plan. And so that's why the Taylor Law comes about. And uh, what's interesting also is the year after the Taylor Law was passed, um, there were many, many, many strikes. This Taylor Law has been broken, I believe, more than 300 times. And so it's not impossible to break the Taylor Law, um, but we do have to organize for it. I'd say two things. First is that the Taylor Law... Um, so people are clear is specific to New York State, to New York State law, even though a lot of other um, states have and cities have laws like that on the books. Um, the other thing I'd say is that it really shows you how far we've fallen as a um, working class movement and uh, a labor movement, you know, as they like to call it. It's not much of a movement. It's a bunch of institutions that are kind of left over in this um NLRB uh, Taft-Hartley era that we exist in, but I think that Tatiana's point that um, the Taylor Law was actually a loosening of the laws, you know, that's what we're fighting now against something that was actually a compromise back in the day because the struggle was so intense to organize public workers, you know, they had to kind of throw them a bone and say, all right, you're only going to be fine this, you're not just going to get fired. We're at this point now where the struggle is at such a low ebb, that strike activity is at such a low ebb, that the Taylor Law seems like this sort of thing that is um, this impassable barrier to us taking direct action. When if you flip that frame around and um, you imagine a different world and a different... Um, Paradigm. Yeah, if you imagine a different balance of forces, right, that exists in the world, right, um, why couldn't we break the Taylor Law 300 more times? You know, why couldn't we do illegal strikes all the time? So um, I also wanted to ask you, what are the demands in the platform of the international women's strike? So in New York, we've had a really interesting process around uh, organizing for the international women's strike. We've uh, worked with 
different grassroots uh, organizations, different rank and file organizations, worker centers, uh, different left parties uh, to draft a very broad uh, list of demands. Uh, the long list is published on, on Left Voice. We published it today. So essentially everything can be sort of there's about seven major points that we're fighting for. Uh, one is, you know, women's rights uh, sort of in a strict sense, right? Reproductive justice, uh, a life free of violence, um, those kinds of things. Another one is around labor rights and uh, the right to uh to against wage theft, which a lot of our coalition partners talked about, about how for undocumented women, uh, they experience a lot of wage theft. Uh, so that kind of thing. Um, we also talked about, uh, you know, social services, social provisioning, uh, again, for public transportation, public health care, for the New York Health Act, um, for universal health care. But, you know, in New York right now, the New York Health Act, um, around immigrants' rights, and, uh, you know, against ICE, against uh, the deportations, against Trump's wall. Um, so for, for immigrants' rights, um, against the police state, against uh, the prison system, against the police. Um, also for, you know, the right of uh, self-determination for uh, and against imperialism. So, uh, you know, for Palestine, uh, for a free Palestine against Zionism. Um, for Puerto Rico, who, you know, they still don't have a whole sector, they still don't have power in Puerto Rico, um, you know, against U.S. intervention in, 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 you know, democratic processes around the world, um, against the drug war, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, those are the, the basic issues that, that we try to take up and that are called the coalition that we've built um, were, are, are bringing up and that we want to fight for on March 8th. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> so about the struggle of colonized peoples, um, I've heard from some naysayers on the left as well as liberals, um, who maybe we don't care about that much, um, that the stuff about post-colonialism or colonized peoples like the Palestinians is sort of shoehorned in to causes like the Women's March and the Women's Strike. Um, and then maybe you should avoid that, keep from alienating certain segments of American liberal feminists who maybe care about Israel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what would you say to that? Yeah, I would say they're so wrong. <laughs> no, I think that... Um, like, why, why include the Palestinians in our strike? Well, I think that it's pretty clear, like, that, you know... I don't know. Ahed Tamimi is, you know, locked up right now, and we we fight for her liberation and for the liberation of, you know, all Palestinian people. Um, I think it's clear that there are Palestinian women that are horribly oppressed um, because of U.S. aid to Israel, uh, because of Zionism, and so uh, we're on the side of those women. You know, the thing with with the category of women is that it's a sort of multi-class, uh, you know issue. And so you, you have Hillary Clinton, and we're not on her side, but we are on the side of Ahed Tamimi. And I would also say that, um, you know, they say, oh, like, you're marginalizing this, like, liberal sector. And I actually think that those people um, aren't seeing how uh, the, the current political moment 
I think the current political moment is one where there's increased polarization, right? We see like the right wing and they're going more right and, you know, oh, it's terrible. Um, but then I also think that, you know, more and more people want a real solution, not like the bullshit solutions that the Democrats give, right? A real solution to the problems in our lives. And so I think that, you know, we see among young people that, you know, m the majority say like we need a third party um, a whole bunch say, like, capitalism isn't really working. There's 30,000 people in the DSA. All of these different people voted for Bernie Sanders. And, you know, there's some critiques of Bernie Sanders, particularly around Israel. But, mm -hmm. you know, the point is that I think that there are people who are looking for deeper solutions than, you know, the Democratic Party can give. And so I think that the point of the international women's strike is to say, like, you don't have to uh, accept power to the polls, you know, you don't have to accept, uh, you know, the solutions, the very limited solutions that the Democrats are going to give. And it's just a side note about the power to the polls thing to really piss me off because right. speak on it. Yeah. Go off. <laughs> because, yeah, the, the uh, you know, on January 21st, uh, we were all marching at the Women's March, and I went, and I was really excited that there was a lot of people in the street. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the 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 women's march folks uh, put out signs and there were a lot of people with signs that said, you know, power to the polls. Um, and we know that that means power to the polls to go vote for the Democratic Party. True. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the Democrats were had shut down the government and were saying it was for the dreamers. But literally, like, 48 hours, the Democrats are like, mm, fuck the dreamers. Let's, like... Fuck it. Whatever. Who cares about the dreamers? And so it's like so it shows You're playing 20 dimensional chess, Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> it shows so clearly how this that strategy doesn't work. And I think more and more people are seeing that. And I think the International Women's Strike wants to show in the streets that uh, there's another option for how we can fight for women's rights that actually gives a real solution to the problems in, in women's lives in the U.S. and around the world. Yeah. Word. Um, I think... When you were just talking about um, expanding the tent just now, um, it's always a little disingenuous on the part of critics such as Barry Weiss, who I'll get to her later, to say, oh, I feel excluded from this big tent of feminism. You know, you need to grow the coalition in my direction. But by growing it in the direction of Zionism, you're actually shrinking it in a different direction. So, I mean, as much as I want to include every single woman uh, we do stand for something, and if you're going to include Zionists, that's inherently exclusionary to a whole lot of other people. Um, and she also does the neat trick of making the oppressors look like victims in any situation, which is obviously unacceptable. So uh, what would you say to those who think this strike is only for privileged women who can afford to take an hour or two off and strike without uh, losing their jobs or killing their children? I would say that that's bullshit. Um, I would say that, I don't know, it's really weird to say that, especially as these West Virginia teachers are going on strike. Are we saying that, like, those are the privileged women of the world? They're so privileged because they're going on strike because they want to, you know, be able to make a living. I think strikes are very clearly not for the privileged. And I also um, think that this idea uh, of, you know, going on strike, it helps uh, strengthen the whole working class for the, the fights that are to come, you know? We've seen, like, we've been so attacked, you know, the working class with, like, the Janus decision is going to come down Oof. soon. Oof. You know, like, our rights to unionize are, um, you know, 
you know, who knows where that's going to go. And I think that, uh, you know, no, a strike is not just for privileged people. I wanted to give an example. Um, in in Argentina, there uh, there is a Pepsi factory, uh, PepsiCo factory, where they basically like make Pepsi products, and um, they they went on strike on March eighth. Uh, they organized a work stoppage and they stopped the whole factory. And so these are folks that are like, you know, working in a factory, like lifting boxes and stuff like that. So like, not the most privileged sector of the economy. Um, a couple months later, the factory actually closed down, and uh, the the workers voted to occupy the factory and put up a huge fight um, against the bosses. Uh, hell yeah! And so, and you know, if you talk to those workers, because you know, I did, it was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they'll say like, yeah, the 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 fact that we were able to go on strike on March eighth helped strengthen us to later take over the factory because you know we were already organized, we already um, you know were were discussing strikes, work stoppages, and so forth. So I think it's only um, going to strengthen the working class to go on strike on March 8th or any day, really. Um, and so, no, it's not for the privileged. Uh, th- I think that the most you know, exploited sectors of the working class are the ones who need the tool of the strike the most. Yeah, I mean, I think when people say that, it's either due to a complete naive hay about history or just a genuine bad faith attack on what you guys are doing. Um, I also think that moments like this, like you said, um, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but it creates an opening. And it's an opening where a lot of really exciting and very pragmatic things could be happening. You know, um, they didn't know when the Russian women rioted over bread in 1917. Yes, they didn't know that that was going to touch off a revolution and it did so it's really cool to hear about how women in different parts of the world all over the world have used this as a very real opening 